0: Great. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. I guess maybe as a starter, yeah, Stanley mentioned it, but I'm a medical anthropologist, but I dabble a lot into science and technology studies, so some of the stuff that's happening over at INSYS. So a lot about what I'm going to be uh, talking about today is going to be kind of thinking about how we can frame some of the work that's happening in laboratory spaces or in clinical spaces in terms of societal trends, so trying to make these links between knowledge practices and also Um, kind of what's happening outside of the lab and what's happening in relation to metabolic disorder throughout the world Um, and then this work is based loosely on the work that I did for my doctoral research but it's kind of an outgrowth so Um, It's something that I've been playing with since I wrote my dissertation and Stanley you won't have seen any of this because it's all new. Um, So it's early stage so that means um, really welcome any comments because I'd like to try and turn this into a paper at some point or write it up into a grant proposal along the way. Changes are happening in the ways that we think about our bodies and our metabolism, and recent work in a variety of fields has shown that the gut microbiome, which is the bacteria that live within your large intestine and your digestive system, play a large role in our development, our health, and also our ability to respond to the environment. So the bacteria that make up the microbiome are in a complex and symbiotic relationship with our bodies, so we provide nutrients ecological niches for their survival, while they help us with our digestive and immune functions. So they break down a lot of extra stuff in our bodies, and they also promote the development of our immune systems. So bacteria have co-evolved with our bodies to help with, for example, the breakdown and fermentation of carbohydrates, the production of vitamins, and the development and differentiation of our intestinal immune system. And they also protect us against invasion by opportunistic Pathogens, So they kind of keep everything in balance and also add to some extra functionality to what we can already do with our own genes and our own cells. So the microbiome is part of or could even be considered us. So I recently attended a presentation in London by a leading speaker in this area who gave some astonishing statistics about the microbiome's role in our bodies. So basically their cells outnumber our own by an order of 10, And that means they make up roughly a kilogram of our body weight and then consequently their metabolic capacity equals something like that of the liver. So this group of cells and organisms that's living within us is contributing in a really big way and in a way that's relatively um, not well understood by scientific researchers but increasingly so is is being understood. with the microbiome, bacteria are no longer the enemy and instead coexist with and within us. So a scientific commentary emphasizes the traditional anthropocentric view of the gut microbiota as pathogenic and solely immunological threat has been substituted with an appreciation of its mainly beneficial influence on human health. So our body is tasked with maintaining homeostasis amidst fluctuations, vast numbers and close proximity of these bacteria. So they're living inside of us and they're still not our organisms. So our body constantly has to kind of keep them in check and see how it can benefit from them or also make sure that they don't become pathogenic. And so with this bacteria and our appreciation of their role in our bodies, metabolism is suddenly an unbounded, multiple and relational thing. So we're, we're changing how we think about our metabolism to include the metabolism of bacteria and the metabolism becomes interwoven with the lives and metabolisms of other organisms that inhabit our bodies. So, the microbiome reveals ultimately how the body and health are incredibly complex and complicated things. And so the microbiome, unsurprisingly, is implicated then in an increasingly large number of human conditions and diseases. And so these include irritable bowel disease, autism, Um, drug toxicity, post-surgical recovery, and of course, metabolic syndrome, which is why I'm here talking to you today. So perhaps the most interesting work in this area has shown that individuals who are overweight or obese have different microbiomes. So this, there's some research that's been done in both humans and animal models that's shown how obesity or body weight is associated with changes in the composition. So this is both the relative types, so there are four main classes of bacteria that inhabit your intestine, and also their total numbers. And so the exact mechanisms aren't known, but basically they're changes that are brought on by obese phenotypes. And then they've also done some recent work in animals that's shown this would be... Um, mouse models of obesity so left in deficient mice that shows that introducing kind of the the microbiota that are within obese animals into lead animals can actually cause them to become obese and can kind of shift them towards an obese phenotype so of course using animal models is an approximation of human health and it has a lot of problems but it gives you some insight into the ways that the microbiome is changing as perhaps a consequence of obesity and metabolic syndrome, or also might even be a driver for some of the the changes that happen when human beings have metabolic syndrome. So this is just a slide that shows you all of the diverse pathways that happen when the gut microbiome interacts with the body in kind of an obese system. And there are lots of different things that happen with inflammatory cytokines, so immunocompromised, Obesity, I guess you could say, and also digestion of particular things, so lipid digestion changes. So with this work on the microbiome, we can see the complex pathways through which health and disease, including obesity and metabolic disorder, develop. So health is determined by much more than our genes. Um, It's determined by our interactions with the environment over space and time, and also by both our own and our bacteria's metabolism. So the work that's shown that there's a genetic basis to obesity, this complicates that because it's not only our own genes, but it's also the genes of bacteria. And it's those bacteria are changing throughout your life course in relation to what you're eating and becoming exposed to. So it's really painting a much more dynamic picture of how biologically metabolic syndrome or disease might develop. So with this understanding of the gut bacteria's role in health and disease, the microbiome becomes an exciting and hitherto untapped site for therapeutic intervention, open to human bodies and medical practices alike. So there's a scientific commentary that emphasizes the microbiome is a nutritional target today, and they're referring here to probiotics and prebiotics and the fact that you can eat them and they can change your bacteria, and might also become the foundation of future drug targeting and interventions. So the microbiome raises important questions about how we think about and envision intervening into the body and metabolic syndrome. So instead of thinking about how we can just treat the human body in obesity, perhaps we can treat our microbiomes and suddenly they can provide a whole new way for us to come up with new biomedical interventions. So just as a brief roadmap to the rest of what I'm gonna talk about here, I'm gonna give you a brief overview of how, as social scientists, Hopefully most of us are social scientists. We might approach the entanglements between the gut microbiome and obesity. So I'm gonna frame this in terms of anthropology and STS a little bit. And then I'm gonna dive into some of the field work that I did and talk about how the researchers that I worked with were really trying to think about the gut microbiome and its contribution to health and disease. And then I'm also going to talk more specifically about some of the projects that relate to metabolic syndrome and obesity and discuss how they're kind of showing how people are thinking about the causes and treatments for metabolic syndrome. So with all of this changes and the exciting work that I've talked about, I think it's, tempted to think, it's tempting to think about the microbiome as the new wonder cure for obesity, so if we take certain bacteria and we eat them, then suddenly we have the new weight loss pill or the new weight loss fad, and although this is exciting research and a potentially new frontier for um, thinking about treating obesity, we have to be cautious as social scientists and think critically about how and why this science is being done and also to what ends. So What are the implications of the gut microbiome for our understandings of health, nutrition, and obesity as complex processes? What are the implications for the ways of intervening into the human body, so the development of diagnostics, therapies, public health interventions, or even epidemiological infrastructures? So how, in other words, is scientific work on the microbiome tied to the broader ways that society thinks about and develops biomedical practices surrounding human health? So, first and foremost, the rising interest in the microbiome isn't just a lab phenomenon. It's also tied to broader trends within biomedicine and society. So, to think about this, I'm drawing on scholarship in lab studies and science and technology studies, which I mentioned, which is documenting the rise of new technologies and fields of scientific inquiry and how they're related to society. So, this work kind of occurs at the intersections between a lot of different fields anthropology, sociology, philosophy and even feminist techno-science, And what it's really trying to show is how there are links between science and culture. So science is inflected by the ideas and trends and values that are embedded within society. And so our ways of thinking about life, doing research on bacteria, developing biomedical interventions, they're all culturally inflected. And so key thinkers in this area that you might have come across are um, Sarah Franklin, her work on IVF, or I'm gonna talk in a minute about Hannah Lentucker as well. So, sociologist Hannah Landecker has been doing some recent work on how metabolic science is being shaped by society's confrontations with metabolic syndrome. Have any of you read this piece, or have you heard of it before? I'm sure you have <laughs> um, So, and she came to speak on something similar. Uh, was it a, two years ago? It's nearly two years ago. Two years. Wow, that time is flying. So, her work, and you can find this paper, it's in um, public culture in a really great set of papers. Her work has shown that there are shifts in the way that we think about metabolism. So there are changes from thinking about it as a factory system in relation to industrial revolution times to more of a regulatory zone in the context of the 21st century information age. And so what she's really trying to argue is that by examining these changing configurations of metabolism over time, so she's a sociologist who also likes to do history or uses history to achieve sociology. By examining those changing configurations of metabolism, we can shed light on how practical efforts to treat metabolic disorders are impacting the knowledge and practices of life. So she's basically saying, okay, we can situate our current understandings of metabolism in relation to historical changes that have happened up till now, and in particular, the rise of metabolic disorder. So, following from this, I've been thinking about the interest in the microbiome has arisen in part through modern society's confrontation with metabolic disorders and chronic diseases. So, metabolic disorder, as I'm sure many of you have learned through Stanley and Caroline's work, is tied to broader global scale changes in dietary lifestyle and health patterns. So, Hannah Landecker refers to this as the rising number of fat bodies and she says that they're tied to shifts in the environments in which we live. So this relates to decreasing activity levels, exposure to processed foods and chemicals, globalization, changing food systems, and so on. But beyond these broader societal trends, metabolic disorder is also entangled with biomedical systems in labs, clinics, and health policy environments that generate knowledge of and practices for intervening into these fat bodies. So as chronic diseases become an increasingly large burden on healthcare systems, time, money, and effort is directed towards understanding how these conditions can be better understood and treated. So examples of this can be found in the rise of gastric bypass surgery, medications to block the absorption of fat or to lower cholesterol and blood pressure, and also diets and pills promising weight loss. And these are all arguably effective ways of treating chronic disease. But they're only one subset of many different ways that you could approach this problem and only one way of allocating resources towards um, kind of attacking a complex and costly problem. So we can think of recent work on the microbiome as being situated within broader attempts to understand the causes and effects of chronic disease on our bodies understand how we might respond to nutritional and lifestyle changes and even further to come up with new therapies that might target our human and our microbial metabolism. So yes, research on the microbiome changes our understandings of who we are at a fundamental level and provides a lot of opportunities for thinking about the body and health, but it also creates new forms of knowledge, practices, and medical interventions that are targeted at these fat bodies. So my concern here is with how this research and knowledge can be caught up in normative frameworks for thinking and assessing chronic disease. So perhaps without even knowing it, um, the work on the microbiome is promoting certain definitions of health or is promoting biomedical interventions rather than social or ecological interventions. And so when I talk about normative frameworks here, I mean frameworks that are prioritizing biomedical approaches rather than ecological or sociocultural approaches. Um, I'm going to talk in this section a little bit about some of the research I observed and participated in throughout my doctorate and how researchers were thinking about the gut microbiome and its role in disease and metabolic syndrome. And so my interest in this topic actually came about because I was trained in immunology as an undergraduate at the University of Chicago and I worked for four years in a lab. that was actually looking at how bacteria are involved in the development of bubonic plague. And through my work with immunology, I basically became really interested in how bacteria interact with the body. Um, And I had a deep-seated interest in the complex relationships that exist as the immune system is trying to balance its interactions with bacteria, particularly in the gut, because it's such a complex and interesting system. And so when I came here and I decided to become a social scientist and study anthropology at Stanley, I found myself doing ethnographic field work in a lab, once again, that was doing research in a field called metabolomics. And so this is where a large portion of my work over the last, gosh, five years has been. Um, and basically this field is the post-genomic study of the molecules and processes that make up metabolism. So just like genomics is about the study of genes, metabolomics or metabonomics, they're interchangeable words, is about the study of metabolites. And so researchers in this field basically use a variety of biochemical and statistical tools to figure out um, how the combination of genes and environment, what this mix is and how it influences your health. And they're trying to find specific biological markers that can basically say epidemiological studies These certain populations have changes that are happening in their metabolism that relate to certain health and disease conditions. Or also look at individuals and use diagnostic markers, see how therapies are progressing over time. So this is a growing field um, both within the UK and the US. Um, recently, the NIH launched, launched a common fund for metabolomics, so there's been um, a couple million dollars that have been allocated to this and the establishment of multiple regional centers of excellence. And then, as well, in the lab that I was working in, they actually secured a contract to take over the doping testing facilities for the Olympics. And so, um, established something that's called the Phenome Center, with lots of money, lots of publicity. But basically what they were trying to do and what they're continuing to do is develop clinical applications so they've got a bunch of cool technologies like taking um, something called an intelligent knife which is a, a tool that cauterizes during surgery and as it burns through the tissue the surgeon is cutting it basically creates this chemical smoke that burns off as a natural byproduct and they have a machine that can suck up that chemical smoke and then tell you if you're cutting into normal or abnormal tissue in real time so these are some of the projects that they're working on and it's devoted towards translation and personalized medicine and so what and then so these are some of the pictures that I took during my field work so you can see this is kind of what the lab space looks like but that's also what the lab space looks like so there's a lot of computational work that's happening but also a lot of um, kind of biochemical work. So these are NMR machines in the background. So you basically put a urine sample into a machine and it gives you a readout of all of the different compounds that are within the urine sample and then researchers will be looking for patterns within those samples to see if they can figure out what's happening. And so the, the reason that there's been interest in this field and what researchers say differentiates their field from genomics is that It can model metabolism and it can model gene environment interactions over time. So they're trying to go beyond the gene, beyond the potential to develop disease and actually give you real-time readouts of what's happening. And so these are two commentaries that I really like that kind of make a play on how there's been a rise of a bunch of different fields that have an OM suffix. And trying to say like metabolomics might be a fad, it might be one of many, but I still think it's an interesting field and that it's worth a look. So despite all of these translational projects that I was just describing, one of the main thrusts of this research in metabolomics and in particular in the lab that I was studying in was to unravel the complex relationships that exist between the human body, the microbiome, and the environment. And so the lab's interest in the microbiome had been kicked off by a series of experiments conducted in the early 2000s that showed that the microbiome played a significant role in acetaminophen metabolism toxicity in rats and humans. So basically, they fed a bunch of rats high doses of acetaminophen, and then they looked at... Basically, which ones died and which ones didn't. And they were able to see, okay, some of them that had certain types of gut bacteria were more able to live, basically. So there's kind of competition in the metabolism of acetaminophen. And if you have some types of bacteria, it's good for you. And some types it's bad for you in terms of whether or not you will die. So they didn't actually do this in humans, but they did studies in humans that showed that the relative dosing would be affected by micro the microbiome. So basically, these... Experiments kicked off the lab's interest in this topic by showing that it wasn't only human metabolism, but also microbial metabolisms that affected people's responses to drugs and food. So, this is a picture of the head of the lab, Jeremy Nicholson. I saw Stanley chuckling because we like to talk about whether or not he's quite full of himself and does emotional things like this in jest. But anyway, he's a great speaker and I think he's very entertaining. So he referred to the, this metabolism as the human superorganism, explaining that human metabolism could only be understood as the combined output of humans and the microbiome. And metabolomics was particularly well suited to exploring this because these changes and the role of the microbiome are dynamic and occurring in space and time. And so. What metabolomics allows researchers to do is actually see in real time the role of the gut microbiome and how it's interacting with your body. So there are a couple different ways of studying the microbiome. Some of it is kind of high throughput shotgun sequencing where researchers will take like a stool sample and basically sequence all of the different kinds of bacteria that are in there and be able to tell you their different identities and then presumably say these are their functional characteristics. Uh, this is another type of research which I think is really interesting where people basically recreate your stomach compartment, or not your stomach, but your intestinal compartment, and try and have lots of different bacterial ecologies happening in all of these different tubes or reactors. So there's a group in Reading who's actually doing this where they're basically recreating your intestinal system. So it smells terrible, and but it's very interesting. So that would be another way of kind of simulating your microbiome in a lab environment. And then there's also metabolomics, which all you need is a urine or stool sample to be able to see what's what's happening, presumably. And so I was really hoping I could get um, a slide from Jeremy Nicholson, because I saw him give a great talk about the microbiome recently. But I wanted to just tell you about two different projects that have been kind of ongoing and kind of frame this work a little bit. So the first is an unpublished study, which Stanley, you might actually find is very interesting. Um, but basically they were looking for biomarkers associated with obesity in American populations or in an American population. And so they were looking which, which metabolites in people's urine are the most significant for explaining whether or not they're obese, which have the greatest impact on variants. And so the gut microbial metabolites added up together could explain Supposedly, approximately 10% of this variance. And so you compare the largest combined genetic effects of um, obesity at 1.45% in the GIANT study, the GIANT consortium, which was supposedly the largest ever genetic study done on this. So you have an order of magnitude larger that can be explained by the gut microbiome. Again, this is unpublished. I don't really, I wasn't there to observe this, but I think it's it's really thought-provoking and interesting to think about how up to 10% of body weight could be explained by these microbes. And so another interesting spin that you can think about is this work that I explained where they were looking at how your microbiome could affect your ability to ingest certain drugs. So they've actually shown that um, microbial metabolism is involved in symphostatin, which is one of the main statins that's prescribed to people and basically what kind of bacteria you have depends on or can influence how well you're able to ingest the statin so your bacteria can affect basically how well you respond to drugs that can lower your cholesterol so there are two hints at the ways that bacteria are implicated in the development of obesity and show that they're important. So Work in metabolomics highlights how the microbiome is reconfiguring our understandings of the body and health. So as the microbiome disrupts our understandings of how our bodies interact with the environment and with our food, it raises fundamental questions which are important to anthropologists, like who are we? How do we figure out what we're made up of? And what our relationship is to microbes and other organisms? How does the environment get under our skin? and what is the body's relationship to the world around it and how does it respond in dynamic ways? And these are questions that prompt us to rethink the boundaries and relationships of the body as well as the development and treatment of health and disease. But, and this is the main point that I wanna make throughout the rest of this talk, our understandings of the microbiome also have consequences for the knowledge, practices, and values that make up biomedicine and society. So research on the microbiome leads to particular diagnostic and therapeutic interventions and produces potentially normative frameworks for engaging with health and disease. So in using particular technologies to understand and explore the human body, technologies like metabolomics, researchers prioritize some forms of knowledge and value some concepts of health over others. So they might use biomedical techniques rather than looking at wider socioeconomic changes that require complex policy-level interventions. So research on the microbiome is caught up in biopolitics. It involves particular ways of intervening into and controlling both individual bodies and also populations. This is not to say, again, that this research isn't potentially very interesting or exciting, but I want to suggest that engagements with complexity and health and also complexity in metabolic syndrome occur in potentially normative and controlled ways. And so I've written about this in a paper with regard to statistics in this field as well to suggest that we need to pay attention to complexity and how complexity can be normative rather than all-encompassing. So you can read about that. It's in a paper in Social Studies of Science that just came out. So this last section, um, I'm going to talk more specifically about some of the projects In metabolomics that we're looking at how the microbiome is caught up in thinking about and intervening into metabolic disease and I want to think about basically ask questions of what can we make of these new ideas and techniques for examining the gut microbiome and what opportunities and challenges do they pose so how can we as social scientists begin to think about critically about what this kind of research means and why it's being done so to grapple with the complex ways in which the microbiome can influence human health, scientists both within and beyond metabolomics have been attempting to define the composition and functional characteristics of what might be termed a healthy microbiome. So this is an attempt to determine the key characteristics of normal gut bacteria and also determine, to determine how it varies, so what are the similarities and differences across geographic populations, ethnographic groups, etc. So the Human Microbiome Project, which is a big project sponsored by the NIH, aims to characterize the range and diversity of the microbiome for healthy individuals. So it's using approaches that look at both the taxonomy, so trying to classify all the different bacteria using genetics, as well as the functional characteristics of bacteria. So trying to think what kinds of metabolic pathways do they have in common and what are they actually doing inside of the body. Defining the healthy microbiome, researchers claim, can provide new ways of diagnosing or intervening into disease or for sustaining health in generally healthy populations. So um, I was reading an article last night that I think captured this quite beautifully, and it, of course, describes the PI, Jeremy Nicholson, who I've just been talking about. And so he's basically talking about, or the, the article is summarizing what he's saying about this. It says... Researchers may someday be able to improve health outcomes by, in effect, treating bacteria whose metabolites are influencing the effectiveness of particular medications. So if we know which bugs go with which drugs, we can think about drugging the microbiome. And I thought that was a really poignant uh, sentence for illustrating how there are biopolitics at play here. So researchers are identifying the existence of ideal notions of health and ideal ways of promoting that health, and they're also identifying potential practices to monitor and achieve health in individuals and populations. So, and yet, researchers openly acknowledge all the time that defining what constitutes and promotes a healthy microbiome, particularly in the context of obesity and metabolic syndrome, is fraught with difficulties. So for a start, researchers recognize that obesity itself is a complex and heterogeneous condition. So a scientific commentary emphasizes, Obesity is not just obesity. Some obese individuals seem to have a benign prognosis, whereas others progress to comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes and non-alcoholic liver disorders. So researchers are seeking in their investigations of the microbiome, not only to determine the different types and risks of metabolic disorder, but also to establish a healthy microbiome, either through the ingestion of pre and probiotics or by gastric bypass surgery, in order to improve health outcomes. So basically, they've identified the role of the microbiome and obesity and they're trying to think, how can we promote healthy microbiome? What are the various techniques that we can use to get us there? So, beginning to talk a little bit about some of the research that I observed, I worked with an immunologist who had been trained as a uh, metabolomics researcher, and she was examining the effects of probiotics, and these are kind of Beneficial or health promoting bacteria that have. I'm actually not sure what the history of the term probiotics is. If it existed before the food companies or um, if it was something that came out of work with food companies. But basically, <coughs> what, it came out of food companies because there was a brief time for the prebiotics, probiotics. It, it, it is a, yeah. yeah, it's now widely used throughout the literature as some, just kind of a generic term for beneficial bacteria that you can eat. Um, And she was looking at the effect of probiotics on pigs. And her work was interesting for a number of reasons. And firstly, it represented attempts to use pigs as a more accurate and complex model of the microbiome than mice, so trying to move beyond the limitations of mice in genetic studies or in um, model organism studies. So in recognizing the complexity of the microbiome, scientific researchers realized the inadequacies of using mice as model organisms. And so they sought to use other animals that had more complex gut morphologies or might have different genetic backgrounds. So basically, pigs are much bigger and they have a much more complex, large intestine. So all of these mouse models of mice, they're a little bit wacky because mice don't actually have a very complicated microbiome. So it's not clear how transferable all of that is. But her work was also interesting because it represented attempts to prove the biomedical and beneficial effects of probiotics on weight loss, and to link bacteria to specific claims about health and disease. So basically her work was being sponsored by the food company Nestle, and um, they did a lot of other work with the lab as well, and they were sponsoring research that was trying to build a scientific basis for the actions of the microbiome, and also, Basically, there are issues with food companies marketing um, things like probiotics as health products or as medications. And the EU cracked down on a bunch of these companies and said, you can't put health claims on these things if they're not substantiated. So companies like Nestle and probably Danone and other companies that sell these probiotics had to then start thinking, oh, crap, we've got to do all this research to actually prove that there are beneficial effects for people who ingest it. So this particular researcher was trying to quantify the beneficial effects on pigs of certain probiotic strains. She was comparing different types of bacteria and trying to say some of these are better than others at promoting their health. And so I also observed similar efforts to establish what constitutes and promotes a healthy microbiome in the work of a colorectal surgeon who had become a metabolomics researcher as well. And he was attempting to unravel the complex role that the microbiome plays in obesity and particularly in bariatric weight loss surgery. So what they did is they took a bunch of rats and they performed bariatric surgery on them. And then they conducted metabolomics experiments on their urine before and after. So questionable animal ethics, but that was how they were trying to go about this. And then they were starting to move into kind of clinical trials and human studies. So this work built on emerging evidence that both diets and surgical interventions play a key role in patterning the types of bacteria that make up the microbiome, which in turn influence how the body metabolizes food. So this surgeon was involved in experimental models, the bariatric surgery, and he was trying to explore how the microbiome responds to antibiotic or surgical interventions and how this in turn leads to particular forms of weight loss. So he also was trying to find biomarkers that could show what was happening with the gut microbiome as these surgical interventions were happening. And there's been a number of studies that have suggested that when you have gastric bypass surgery, it's not only the physical constriction of your stomach that promotes you to lose weight, but it's also the changes that happen in the types of bacteria that inhibit your intestine and the re-plumbing of your body. And this, there's a bunch of papers published by people in this group um, that kind of talk about some of these effects. So, this is just one of many. So, both the immunologist and the surgeon were attempting to engage with the complexity of human health and to expand our knowledge of the interactions between the microbiome and the body. And their research was explicitly embedded within society's preoccupation with obesity and chronic disease in attempts to develop probiotics for weight loss or to understand how particular surgical interventions could treat obesity. So here I want to make two points about why this research is interesting and important. So first, both of the research projects entailed potentially normative frameworks for understanding and intervening into health and disease. What I mean by this is that in attempting to define the composition and mechanisms of these so-called healthy bacteria, researchers identified that some bacteria were better at promoting health than others. So despite the widespread recognition, which has come partly out of the Human Microbiome Project, of the microbial diversity across individuals and populations, and microbial diversity is something that actually promotes health, so having lots of different kinds is really good for you, and researchers know this. So despite that, researchers promoted, both commercially and socially, certain types of bacteria as good, So they provided a norm for health and bacterial ecology to which society should strive, regardless of where people were living or where they'd come from or what their ethnic background was. And so the second point is that both projects promoted particular types of interventions based on what might be called nutraceutical or surgical techniques to address obesity and promote weight loss. So knowledge of the microbiome's role in the body provided a way to focus on biomedical solutions to obesity instead of addressing the wider socioeconomic problems like income inequality, globalization, reliance on unsustainable agriculture that contributed to poor health. So research on the microbiome promoted certain biopolitical techniques for intervening into individual bodies and populations emphasizing the use of biomedical rather than structural or system-wide approaches. So, a few concluding thoughts on this. So, I've talked about how the microbiome provides a useful resource to rethink our understandings of the body and health, and also thinking about how health and metabolism are happening in complex ways across time, across space, and across different environments. And so the microbiome is really interesting because it lies at this interface between environment and metabolism. So it it plays a substantial role in human health and disease and also provides an exciting and untapped resource potentially for biomedical interventions like I've been talking about. So research on the microbiome is intricately linked to trends and movements within society. And so it's linked to our confrontation with obesity, our confrontations with fat bodies, it's still existing within particular frameworks for thinking about these conditions and diseases. So it's still involved in normative ideas about the body, in certain biopolitics, to think about individual bodies or populations. And so this knowledge of the microbiome is neither natural or neutral. And this is something that STS is always trying to think about, is how is seemingly objective scientific knowledge always inflected by certain values or certain ideas within society. So this is one example of that. But I also want to think, and I really like this cartoon, I should say, Um, I found it on the web, but it's basically saying friendly bacteria, you buy lots of them, you can get one free. I think it kind of hints at how people are starting to commercialize bacteria and making a little bit of a play on it. So just to conclude this presentation, I want to think critically about the kinds of normative or prescriptive frameworks that I've been hinting at throughout this presentation. I want to think about how they're embedded within um, the research that's trying to emphasize how our health is complex and our metabolism is complex and the microbiome is complex. So research on the microbiome engages with the complexity of health in ways that genomics can't. So I described a little bit about how we can move beyond the very small genetic contribution to obesity when we think about the microbiome. So this research also highlights how the body responds to the environment in space and time. So as we move around, as we change environments, our microbiomes respond and they change and they affect how we are able to digest food. But complexity in these scenarios is not value three, and entails particular techniques for assessing the health of bodies and populations. So there's a, a very interesting article that recently came out in Triple S, Social Studies of Science, by Stefan Helmreich and Heather Paxson. And um, they are two anthropologists at MIT. Stefan Helmreich has done work on kind of uh, bacteria that live within oceans. Um, it's called Alien Oceanist Book. And then Heather Paxson has done work on artisanal cheese making. And in this paper, they suggested that microbes can act as model ecosystems. So they're, they're talking about how researchers who are engaged in this artisanal cheese making and astrobiology which is trying to say like what are the different bacteria that exist in all these weird um, limit zones where there's kind of weird biology happening that's not invoking traditional pathways. They're trying to think about how those researchers are thinking ecosystemically so they're thinking in complex terms but they're still making normative and prescriptive statements about how biology should be. So building from this and this is also related to some of Hannah Lindecker's work that I suggested in the beginning, I want to suggest that the microbiome is used to define health in particular ways and that these prioritize and exclude certain types of relationships, organisms, or modes of existence. So explanations of how and why the microbiome contributes to health and how this might lead to new interventions still revolve predominantly around biomedical factors like the ratio of carbohydrates to fats in diets. Less mentioned is the role of complex social or environmental dynamics like health inequalities across and within societies, which are inherently more difficult to measure and quantify with biomedical data. So basically there's a role for social scientists here to step in and think about what's happening with all this research. On the surface, it's really cool and it has a lot of neat implications for who we are, what ethnicity is, what our metabolism is, Um, And it's a really unique opportunity to engage with health as a complex system, right? This microbiome is highlighting that health isn't just your genes, it's not just your environment, but it's actually the intermingling of the two of them. And it's not even just your body, it's your body plus the other bodies that are related to it. But I think that in these in these indications to complexity, we have to make sure that we're thinking about it in the correct way. So we have to make sure that this research isn't, isn't just being channeled towards biomedical interventions, but that it's also able to highlight the need to look at ecologies and socioeconomic systems. So basically, there's a need to look at both the opportunities that this research presents, but also the challenges that it raises for both biomedical researchers and social scientists. So I will end there for questions.